0: Um, my name is Chris, and I'm um, one of the pastors here, and uh, Pastor Cody was kind enough to invite me to come and preach and uh, be with you guys tonight, and you got to put up with me tomorrow morning as well, so it's a delight uh, to be with you, and I'm really looking forward to, uh, to uh, going through this together with you. Um, hey, I heard Pastor Cody, by the way, preach through the entire Bible last night. Was that true? Yeah. Did you guys ever sleep? Um, nope. Pretty cool uh, way to start off the retreat to listen to the story of the Bible uh, this morning. Um, Pastor Cody uh, talked about the supernatural act of um, listening to God in in the Bible, and uh, we're going to kind of continue that theme this evening. Um, but we're going to look at the, the natural act or the physical act of reading and listening, into God, listening to God in his word. And what that entails is it, means, it really means we're just going to dig into and, and, and kind of sink our spiritual teeth, if you will, into the immeasurable and infinite depth of God's word. So that's our task that's set before us. You know, looking at uh, God's word is a lot like looking at a snowflake. Um, At first glance, we notice how beautiful and graceful the snowflake is as it falls gently through the air and uh, perhaps lands on our hand or lands on our clothes. Um, There's a a quiet beauty to that. But when we look more closely at the snowflake, we begin to see something that's quite amazing, this complex, symmetrical structure uh, that just leaves us in awe of who God is. In fact, it looks something like this. Isn't that just so cool? Like when you really look at a snowflake, uh, look at that complex structure. That just leaves me in awe of God. What a great designer, what a great creator he is. Well, that's kind of like reading the Bible. At first glance, there's this quiet grace to it. Um, But a closer look reveals the beauty and depth that leads to breathtaking worship of God. Now, if all we ever did is give the Bible kind of a, a casual look, we'd certainly see some really cool things about God's beauty in it. Um, but if we were to look and listen intently at it, staring at it, digging into it, then our, our souls should swell up in a wonderful adoration of God. So that's what we're seeking to do tonight. This is really going to be a a roll up your sleeves and kind of get after it, get at it kind of of evening. So grab your Bibles and uh, turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Let me set a little bit of the context just to... to, um, uh, go over a little bit of what you studied in your alone time with God here just a little bit ago. Um, Mark has just completed an extended section um, that announces that Jesus is the Son of God. He gets right after it in Mark chapter 1. Jesus then proclaims that the kingdom of God has come, so they should repent. And then he demonstrates his supremacy through various displays of his divine authority, through miracles and teaching and what have you. Then Jesus in, in, in uh, Mark 3 He selects his 12 disciples, he chooses them. Hold on to that thought for later. And he clashes with some of the religious leaders um, who accuse him of being demon possessed. And then finally at the end of chapter three, uh, we see that Jesus uses his own family as illustrations of who his spiritual family is. And so coming out of that and heading into Mark four, there's really kind of two natural questions that, that are before us. The first question is, how do I get into Jesus' family? How do I get into Jesus' family? And the second question is, how do I know that I'm a part of Jesus' family? How do I know? So we're going to set about to try to answer those two questions. And I think Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20 does just that. So uh, let's look and listen to see how God answers these questions. And before we do that, let's supernaturally go before him and ask for his help this evening. Lord, thanks so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together in this safe, comfortable environment with the air conditioning and friendly people around us with no fear of retribution, no fear of persecution, no fear of tribulation. Thank you, Lord. That is awesome. Lord, would you help us to make the most of that tonight as we dig into your word, speak to us as we look and listen at your word tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the, the, what we're going to do first is we're, gonna, we're going to look at answering the first question. How do I get into Jesus' family? All right, let's, re, let's look at verses 1 and 2 of, of Mark 4. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. He being Jesus and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he could so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. So let's let's get the setting here for this as we enter into uh, the, the main section of, of Jesus teaching. First of all, we see that that he is um, he's going to be beside the sea and he begins to teach them. And it's a, not just a large crowd, but a what? Yeah, it's a very large crowd, and they were all about him. Think about it like uh, they were pressing in on him, suffocating, if you will. And they said the whole crowd then was beside the sea, and where was he? On the land. Yeah, he was in a boat on the sea, right? Also, also observe this. He was teaching, and what was he teaching them? In parables. He was teaching them in parables. A parable is a short story about, that teaches truth. A parable is a short story that, che- that teaches truth. So what kind of parable is Jesus teaching? Well, let's read it. Let's pick up in verse 2. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, Where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. All right, let's, let's make some observations about what Jesus um, is teaching here in this parable. First of all, we see that Jesus ha- has a command to listen. This is a command. He says, listen up. Add to that, he also says, behold. <laughs> so it's like, a, hey, I want you to pay attention. And by the way, behold, this is, this is important, what I'm about to say. <clears throat> so Jesus uh, commands to listen at the very um, get-go of his parable. This becomes a theme actually throughout this entire text. In fact, look over at verse nine. We see Jesus says, hear, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. These two hears are the same Greek word that's used in listen in verse three. So what Jesus does here is he bookends this parable with a call to listen or hear. Hear, and then he finishes with hear. So this whole parable is bookended with that. Second observation, there's actually three characters, three main characters in this parable. First of all, we see the sower, the sower says, a sower, what's he doing? He went out to sow. So right away we know that this is going to be a parable involving a farming story, which kind of made sense for that, that uh, agricultural environment. Israel would have known, the people would have known what Jesus was talking about. So what's the sower, sower doing? He's planting seeds. He's planting seeds. So that's the first character. The second character <clears throat> excuse me, that we see is that there are seeds. We see this multiple times. Verse 5, or 4, 5. Seven, and then we see it again in verse eight. What's the seed? Well, the sower is casting, or he's flinging the seed out, and it's falling in different places. And depending upon where it lands, it, that determines what uh, where the, whether the seed grows or not. Which brings us now to the to the third character on the scene, and this is the type of um, the type of soil. The first soil, there's four types. The first soil is the hardened soil. The hardened soil. The second type that we see is the rocky soil. And the the third type of seed is the the thorny soil. And then we see in verse eight, the good soil. The good soil. The amount of fruit, um, rather third observation, let me point this out before I move on. The third one, and in, in this um, to, to make note of is that only the fourth seed in the good soil was growing up, increasing and yielding 30 fold, 60 fold and 100 fold. It didn't really matter at this point about, you know, why did some grow 30, 60, 100? That's not really the point here. Um, it just it just it doesn't tell us why. But that's an observation. Only the fourth soil, the good soil, is where we actually see growing and producing of fruit. And then lastly, I'll just make note of this again. Jesus finishes again with a call for them to hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So right away, we may not be able to answer this how do I I get into Jesus' uh, family question completely, but right away we know that Jesus is saying, listen, listen up, pay attention, focus intently upon what I'm trying to tell you. But let's keep reading. Let's keep moving on, because Jesus isn't finished yet. Let's look at verses 10 through 12 now. And when he, Jesus, was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed see, but not perceive. And may and may indeed hear, but not understand, unless they should turn and be forgiven. So let's make some more um, uh, notes about this. First of all, it's kind of interesting um, that we fast forward to a different time, uh, outside of of Jesus' teaching time, and His disciples are like, "Hey, Jesus, um, why do you teach in parables? Why are you teaching in parables?" And uh, you, I almost uh, kind of chuckle a little bit. I'm like, maybe you maybe they're like, "Oh, Jesus." Why? Why are you telling these stories? They're so hard to understand. Jesus. Uh. Sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? Have you ever asked your parents a question expecting to get a straightforward answer and they end up telling you this long, drawn-out story? And you're <laughs> That's never happened before, right? Um, well, that's what Jesus is doing here. And there, there's a point to it. There's a point to it. So... Here's what Jesus responds, or how he responds. He said to them, to you, let's make note of that. He says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So first off, Jesus says that uh, to them, they've been given the secret of the kingdom of God. So God has given them a divine gift. Jesus is the one who possesses it and has chosen to share it with his disciples. Jesus is the sovereign sovereign revealer of the secret of his kingdom. So you might be asking, what is the secret? Well, I think in the context and in the flow and the movement of Mark, I think it's this. I think it's that that the secret is that the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And you might want to make that note. The secret in in this text here is that Jesus Christ has come and the kingdom has been revealed in him. And it's a secret because it hasn't been revealed to everyone. It's only been revealed to some. Notice also he says, but, so he contrasts what he's just said with this. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So, What's going on here is Jesus uses this outsider's versus insider's perspective to teach them something. He says that those who are on the outside, they they only get things in parables. He specifically says, the twelve, to you, the twelve, has been given the secret of the kingdom. So you might say, okay, why? why? Why is Jesus doing this? Well, look at verse 12. The next two words are what? You read them. So that. So that. Hey, whenever we see certain words like so that or for or because, we need to pay special attention. Because scripture, that means that Scripture is about to explain something or help us understand or give a better reason or purpose than what we might have had before then. So we need, to, we need to pay attention here. Jesus is about to explain something, and he's about to give the purpose of why he is um, telling parables to outsiders. Then what he does is here in uh, verse 12, he quotes, he quotes Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. This is a quote. So whenever we see an Old Testament passage quoted, Um, We need in the New Testament, that is, we need to understand what the Old Testament passage originally meant so that we can better understand how it's being used here in the New Testament. So keep your place in Mark chapter four and let's flip over to Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah chapter six. So let me provide a little bit of context. Isaiah in a vision has seen uh, the Lord in the throne room and he is being worshipped. That is, the Lord is being worshipped. And he's so struck with the holiness that he sees present in the throne room that he goes, whoa, I am lost. He recognizes his unholiness. And so what God does is God cleanses him and atones for his sin. And then after he does that, we see that that God then commissions him. In other words, God gives him a mission. God says, Isaiah, this is what I want you to do. And this is what he says here in verse 9. And he, God, said, go and say to this people, this people being Israel, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes And hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So, what we see here is that because of Israel's unrepentant hearts, God is about to bring judgment against them. Now, make no mistake, this is a difficult text. This is a difficult text. God's telling the people to keep on hearing and seeing as they have before, but He's going to harden or continue to harden their hearts so that they won't understand and perceive. Uh, way back in um, uh, Deuteronomy, Moses was speaking. Moses had said, already told them that because of the, the lack of the, um, their stubbornness and uncircumcised hearts, they were um, not going to be able to obey the Mosaic law. They were not going to be able to obey God. And so that has continued for centuries. After century, after century, after century, Israel has failed to obey God. And so God is essentially saying that the hardened hearts Israel had before, those will remain. They will hear and see Isaiah's message, but they're they're not going to understand and perceive it. They're not going to change because of their hardened hearts. Imagine imagine what maybe Isaiah must have felt like, by the way. Like here's a a prophet, and he's going to be preaching God's word, and he's being told, nobody's going to listen to you. (laughs) of well, the faithfulness of, of uh, pastors and uh, today that are like that and in those situations. Hey, let me just say this. God's judgment on sin is serious. Let's not take sin lightly. God's judgment on it is serious business. And by the way, God's not being harsh here. He has demonstrated patience for a very long period of time. I think this provides the right uh, understanding now for us to go back and understand how Jesus uses it In Mark 4. So flip back over to Mark 4. And so what does Jesus mean by quoting Isaiah? And here's what he means: Jesus is saying um, that he tells parables to outsiders so that they will continue in their hardened, stubborn hearts. The judgment of Israel six is continuing. So Israel in the past, they were able to hear. God's unfading words. Now, in that present time, they were able to hear God's unfading words in the presence of Jesus, from Jesus' mouth. They were able to see in the past God's miraculous works, and now in Jesus' day, they were able to, able to see it in Jesus by, by Jesus doing those miraculous works. And he's saying that people have the same blind eyes, deaf ears, and hard hearts as in Isaiah's day. However... Some have been chosen to hear and see correctly. In fact, in in Mark 3, 13, um, Jesus went up on the mountain. He called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. He chose the 12. He chose the 12. Some have been chosen. And I think we're at a point now where we can answer this question. How How do I get into the Jesus family? And it's this. Jesus chooses. It's his choice, it's his family, it's his kingdom. He decides he has authority over who uh, enters his family. However, I will say we bear some responsibility as well. Hardness of heart, rebellion and unbelief are all over Mark chapter three. Jesus was angered over uh, and grieved over the hardness of people's heart in verse five. His own family thinks he's crazy, they think he's insane. He's accused of being possessed by demons we have the responsibility here in Mark 4 to listen. He's telling us, listen up, hear, hear what I have to say. So, friends, Jesus is not being harsh here uh, by telling parables. Instead, he's showing grace. He's showing grace. Um, you and I have hardened hearts, stubborn, rebellious hearts just like the people in these passages so might we be careful might we be careful in how we think and look about um, at them I mean if it wasn't for grace then no one would be in Jesus' family nobody would instead God has ordained it that some would understand who Jesus really is and trust in him alone for salvation we should be grateful we should be thankful we should our hearts should well up in adoration And if you are listening and if you are if you are um, uh, part of Jesus family, then thanks be to the Lord that Jesus Christ has chosen you to be in his family. So you might say now, though, okay, I get I get what you're saying, Chris. I get it. uh, But how do I know if I am? How can I know if I'm part of Jesus' family? Well, Jesus um, gave us a little bit of hint at the end of chapter three, but he really um, um, nails it right here in the second half of Mark chapter or of our text here in 13 through 20. So let's look at, let's look at that and answer this question. Question two, the second, how do I know? How do I know? How do I know? All right, let's, let's, um, uh, let's read verse starting in verse 13. And Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Let's pause there. Uh, It's interesting here that um, uh, Jesus says, uh, he basically scolds his disciples a little bit. I don't think it's very harsh scolding. I think it's more of a, hey, do you not understand this? Really? Really? Do you not understand what I'm saying? If you don't understand this, how then are you going to understand any of the parables? So this is like, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand any of it. This is the parable of all parables. Uh, and, he's, and he's asking the question, why, why don't you understand this? They, see, the disciples have been given the secret to the kingdom of God, but they still um, are very much like the hard-hearted outsiders. And you know what? That comforts my heart. That's a comfort. Because I don't really understand everything that Jesus says. Our entire lives is about sanctification. It's about becoming more like Jesus. And so we need to be growing to become more like Him. And we saw that progression. We see that progression in Scripture with the disciples. So He starts by scolding Him. But then He's. <laughs> Then he explains the parable to them. How sweet is that, right? How sweet is is it that Jesus, again, demonstrates grace and helps them understand? So let's look at this um, as Jesus explains it. First of all, we see the sower in verse 14. Let's read it. The, the The sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. So there's the first character. But guess what? He doesn't really tell us who the sower is. Could be Jesus. Could be his disciples. Or could be everyone in his family. I don't really know. I think in the context of this, I, I think it, it's everyone in his family. Um, all people, all the, of Jesus' family spreads or sows the word. okay? So that's the first that's the first um, uh, character again. But look at, look at what he does next. He says, that the sower sows the word, so what's the seed? What's the seed? That's right. The seed is the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The one who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and a hundredfold. So the word, the seed, has a prominent place in this parable. It's very important. There's also the third character that we saw from the first part, when Jesus was, was giving the parable. Here again we see the four soils. We have the hardened soil. It hears the word and what happens? It never takes any, any root and say, Satan carries it away. Then we have the rocky, the rocky soil. The rocky soil hears the word, rejoices over it, but trials and persecutions make them fall away. Then we have the thorny soil. Similar issue, a little bit different. They hear the word, but the cares of this world choke it out. And then lastly, we have uh, the good soil. We have the good soil. And those are the ones who hear the word, grow in the word, and bear fruit, bear much fruit. Notice also in this that every single... Soil hears, you can see it's everywhere when you see the word um, after, right before that, you see the hearing right there. Again, hearing, hearing, hearing. They hear, they hear, they hear, they hear. But They're not really understanding and perceiving until you get to the fourth soil and they hear the word, and what do they do? What do the people who are the fourth soil do when they hear the word? That's right. right. Now we can answer this question. We can answer the question, how do I know? How do I know? Hey, this is what Jesus' family looks like. One... They um, are rooted. They're rooted in the Word. They grow in the Word. And they bear fruit. They bear fruit. So how do I know if I'm in Jesus' family? Well, start by looking at fruit in your life. Start by looking at the fruit in your life. Are you, are you uh, bearing uh, bad fruit? Is your life characterized by bad fruit in your life? Or is your life primarily characterized by good fruit? Here's a better exercise. Rather than try to answer that yourself, because as we're gonna see tomorrow, we can be self-deceived pretty easily. Ask someone who's like your small group leader or your parent or maybe Pastor Cody or maybe a close friend that's sitting next to you ask them to say hey what kind of fruit do you see me bearing in my life is it primarily bad fruit or is it a mix 50 50 or do you is it do you see me growing you see the bad fruit falling off the tree and dying and the and good fruit replacing it those are good questions to ask that's how we that's how we know whether or not we're in Jesus's family so when we look at the Bible, God speaks to us through it. God speaks to us through it. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening? Well, at this, past, this passage, I think, demonstrates, uh, uh, illustrates it well. When, when we ask questions of God, he answers it pretty much fully. Um, but that's not always the case. So what I want to do here in our last three or four minutes is uh, show you another passage that illustrates uh, where when he, you ask him a question, he doesn't really answer it fully. I think that's important for us to take away from, as we approach God's word, God's under no obligation to give us all the answers that we ask him. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. So let's, let's look at this, this passage here. Uh, it's Mark chapter 13, you might want to flip over there really quickly. Mark chapter 13, don't try to, that's an eyesore, I get it. Here, um, but uh, I wanted the whole passage up uh, to illustrate something. So, Mark chapter 13. Let me give you the context just briefly. Jesus and his disciples are coming out of the temple and the disciples are like looking at the temple and they're going, Woo! Look how awesome this temple is. Yeah, this is beautiful. It's it's fantastic. It's almost as pretty as it was when Solomon built the first temple. And Jesus, Jesus says, Hey, you see these stones? Not one of them is going to be left unturned. And so... So later on, they, um, they, they look at Jesus, and, and so they, they ask him this. They ask him two questions. You can see it up on the board. Tell, uh, in verse 4, they said, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So they ask him two questions. They say, uh, Jesus, when will this happen, and what will be the sign? But here's the very interesting thing. Jesus only answers one of the questions. He doesn't answer both of them look at verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So Jesus is saying, I'm not going to answer the when question, but I will tell you the what. What are you supposed to be looking for? And so from verse 5 on through verse 31 of that chapter, that's what he's doing. But you you might ask the question, well, if he doesn't answer it fully then what is this text really about what is it really about well this is the point of the passage first we see in verse 5 and and uh, he says do not be led astray he's like be careful when these things start to take place do not be led astray many will come claiming to be Jesus many are coming claiming to be me that's what he says second of all he says He says uh, in multiple places, be on your guard, be on your guard, be on your guard. You will be persecuted for Jesus's sake. You're going to be persecuted. Third of all, he says, stay awake. He says it three times. Stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. Keep alert. Um, I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming back, but it's going to be suddenly and it's going to be unexpected. So don't fall asleep on the job. You have a job to do? Don't fall asleep on it. See, so many people want to debate. What is the signs? And and they get caught up in looking at the signs of the times, and you know, is this pre-mill, ah-mill, what's going on here? If you don't understand what I'm saying, just don't even worry about that part. But they argue about what this is, and they miss the point of the text. So here's what I'm saying. Do not miss the point of the text. The point of the text is this. Trials, tribulations, and persecutions are coming, so don't be led astray. Be on your guard and stay awake. That's what Jesus wants his people to know. That's what he wants us to know. So we see that this is a call here, not to know when. Jesus is calling us to trust him in the midst of the chaos. So we see sometimes in God's, God's word, he answers our questions fully, especially on matters of salvation like in Mark chapter 4. And then other times, we see like here in Mark 13, that he doesn't fully answer our questions. And he does this a lot when it comes to the end times. God doesn't always give us the answers that we want or that we ask, but he always gives us the answers he wants us to know. And we have to make sure that we submit to what his word says. So as we look and see the intricate structure, the depth, the beauty of God's word, let's have hearts ready to worship him. He's a wonderful, great, great God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the opportunities to... Um, open up your, a cop, our copies of your word and read it and look intently at it and annotate it and stare at it and scratch our heads over it all trying to understand it deeply. Lord we pray that you would help us to understand the beautiful intricate structure of your word that is also the living, breathing, unfading, never ending always alive, always plumbing the depths of our hearts. Lord, give us a desire to do this more and more and more and not just casually glance at your word. Oh oh God, you are worth more than that. Help us to plumb the depths of your infinite goodness through your word. We thank you, oh Lord. We ask for your help. Holy Spirit, guide us and direct us. Illumine our hearts so that we may understand the word better. Thank you for your grace. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.